It's traditional that when we come to the end of a season of the Twilight Zone here on the show that I sit down with another Twilight Zone podcast host and we go through the season as a whole, you know, talking about our favourite moments, our least favourite moments and everything in between. Now normally that Twilight Zone podcast host is my good friend Luke Owen but he's had some good news that's actually keeping him from being on the show tonight and we'll come back to that in a moment. But... That left me at a loose end and I didn't want to break with tradition so what I did I reached through the dimensional barrier and I reached out to my good friend from another dimension Mr. Zach Moore. Zach how's it going? Hi Tom happy to be here with you in the fifth dimension. Listeners if we remember the episode on the parallel uh, I'm not breaking the rules here because another dimensional (laughs) Zach Moore actually broke through into our show and we heard his episodes of the twilight zone podcast too so zach welcome to this dimension it's good to see you i don't know whether you know this but we have a zach moore from this dimension as well and he actually hosts a podcast about smallville you know the superman show that show yeah (laughs) who would listen to that i don't know but but he does it but you know thankfully we've got a much cooler zach (laughs) yes I would never watch Smallville. Okay, we're not going to be able to keep this up for like an hour or <laughs> no. however long we can. That would be, be exhausting. So That would be exhausting. But thank you for stepping in, Zach. You know, uh, Luke has, um, he and his wife have just had their first child. So his life will be extremely busy at this moment. And he couldn't come on as is traditional. But, you know, you and I have... I've lost count of how many shows we've done on the Twilight Zone podcast in various ways now, and it's always good to to have you back. So how's things with you? All things are all right. I am looking forward to the fifth season of the Twilight Zone because mm-hmm. it's got some of my favorite episodes in it, but it's it's been a journey. You know, I uh, First of all, thanks for having me on to discuss this with you. And it was a lot of fun to sort of co-host the parallel episode. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was kind of a, a cool idea you had. And we just kind of Initially, that was just going to be like the intro or something, and then we kind of mm-hmm. just ran with it. I'm like, let's just do the whole thing, and uh, and so that was that was a lot of fun. So uh, in my own way, I I can consider myself a host of the Twilight Zone podcast. <laughs> so thank you for that. But yeah, and you know, watching uh, the the show, maybe it's because this was the shortest season of the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. right? Because there's only 18 episodes. I was like, you know what? I'm going to send in feedback for every single episode, and I did. Not in every actual episode, mm-hmm. you know, but it was like, oh, I, let me two, sometimes three at the time when I when I would lose track of, of when the shows were coming out. But uh, that was fun because, I mean, I, and I think it's really cool to open up the opportunity for everybody to send that in. And, and I'd encourage, you know, people to do it. It's a lot of fun. You know, you got some brief thoughts, send them in. It's, it's always fun to hear other people's perspectives. Hopefully people didn't get sick of mine. Like, oh, this guy again? Like, <laughs> we get it. Him and Tom are friends. He's going to be on the show, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, no, I just really wanted to participate in uh in the interactivity of of that uh opening of sending in thoughts you know and so the fourth season is a very unique season too and a lot of it i had never either had never seen before i'd forgotten so it was it was an mm-hmm. interesting experience uh for for the most unique season of the show so i was happy to, to participate in the way that i did all year i'm glad you did and i would encourage anyone else to do so you know especially here in the final year of the twilight zone uh, I'm not going to say the final year of the Twilight Zone podcast because there's no way I'm getting this done in a year. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you mentioned that you'd either not seen some things or forgotten some things. For me, it was pretty much 
you know, 95% all new to me. And I don't even know if that percentage makes sense in an 18 episode season. I'll have to do the math, you know, at some point. But I was very, very unfamiliar with this season. It has a bit of a reputation. As soon as Twilight Zone season four comes out of your mouth, people are like, the too long, worst season, not my favorite episodes. You know, some people write that season off completely. I mean, what were your general feelings about it coming in? Well, as I've said in a lot of my feedback, I, I my Twilight Zone fandom was forged in the uh, sci-fi channel marathons we had here in the United States. And sometimes those still happen. Sometimes they don't. They're, they're not as annual as they used to be, but they mm-hmm. used to be every New Year's and every July 4th. And so they'd show random, it's exciting back in the day. We didn't know what was coming next, right? Uh, it's not like the Blu-rays where you know exactly what's happening. And yeah. there's some sort of community feeling watching them because other people from around the country are watching these same things I am at home. So those, sometimes these hour-long episodes would come up. And, and I think thinking back on it, I'm like, you don't, you're used to the Twilight Zone being a half-hour show. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, oh, oh, this one's about to wrap up. Oh, no, it's still going. Oh, this must be an hour long. <laughs> this must be an hour long one. And so having the show of randomly was, was a very interesting experience. And and I believe it, the first start to finish episode I ever saw was of late. I think of Cliffordville, mm-hmm. which was an interesting way to start, I guess. Yeah. And I'm surprised you watched again. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm still a fan. Right? <laughs> this, this, this. And, and, and maybe even the reverse. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but maybe then maybe I thought. It was an hour long show. Mm. So then the next one that came out was like, well, this wrapped up pretty quick. Oh, it's over. I thought this were an hour long. So, you know, I was a kid, so I don't remember, but I remember that kind of feeling of being the the, the real twist of the Twilight Zone. It's like, oh, it's it's a half hour show, not an hour. It's the story's over already. But you know, over time, like it, it, it was just a random grab bag of episodes they show. So you never kind of know what would be a fourth season or fifth season. And the intros are the same too. Mm. So you you really don't you, it has the the eye and the door and all that stuff right for the, for the most iconic intro, so you really didn't know. So I mean, most of the time you're watching these in a marathon and you're not really thinking about which season it came from because it is a random order. There was no really sequence to it. So I, I think definitely some of these I, I got bored with. I, I do distinctly remember the Thirty Fathom Grave. I ended up just turning it off at some point. This was mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was still going. This is boring. I'm moving on. But other ones I really did like, like in his image. I, that's one of my favorite episodes. I think that one's really good. So I, I, I know that it, it being different. Everybody's like, oh, it's that season. Like you were saying, everybody has a hot take on 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 season four, but. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of nice if they had never gone back to the fifth season. I think people you, you might be more people who don't like it might be able to be more quote unquote upset about it. But they did go back to the status quo afterwards, so that kind of makes it an interesting experiment. And then we go back to everything we know. So yeah, that's that's kind of where I land on it. Had it had it ended at season four, especially with some of the string of episodes there near the end of the season, that would have been a sad story. But since we came back with so many great episodes, the fifth season, I, I think you you there's what a hundred fifty something episodes mm-hmm. of the Twilight Zone to have 18 of them be an hour long. Sure. It's like the videotape episodes, right? It's like we have six of those and it's like, that's weird, but most of them are actually pretty good. Uh, at least as story wise, you know, visually, you know, you can have your own conversation, but when the show runs so long and has these, these strange oddities about it, that's, that's just, that enriches the fandom and the experience. I think of the show. I think you make a very good point there, man, that if it had been the last season of the show, it would have been the one that killed the Twilight Zone. And we, we've all seen those shows that have been great and then 
they just run them into the ground for whatever reason, or they just do a bad season that finishes it off, you know, like Dexter. Tom, or... I thought we were done talking about Smallville. Tom, what are you about? <laughs> <laughs> um, like Dexter or Scrubs or... I never saw the last season of Smallville, so I will take your word for it. Uh, Smallville, it, it goes, it, it it ran long enough where it came back around for the most part. Right. So that's, that's what I'll say. Like it had a definite lull in the center, but mm-hmm. it, it kept going. And Scrubs is a great example. Changing networks, that's a red flag just yeah. in the show. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, sometimes they just need to to know when is enough and uh, if it had finished with season four it would have been the season that killed the twilight zone but you're right there's certain things like this that are interesting as the lore of the show if you like like the videotaped episodes and so on so i was i remember how excited i was to come to this because i always like to come to things hoping for the best you know and i'd heard so much bad stuff about it that i thought you know what this is still Rod Serling. This is still Richard Matheson. This is still Charles Beaumont. Just because they are longer stories, these are professional writers, you know what I mean? Of course they might maybe stumble sometimes with the format of the the show in a longer form. I'm looking at you, 30 Fathom Grave. Um, but these are still the best writers in the world. It can't all be bad. You know, the, I mentioned it last time, there's a, a famous Twilight Zone commentator who writes this season off wholesale, and I just think that is nonsense. Um, so I was so excited to come into this season, and we will speak more about how that looked at the other side of it. But we're going to stick to a, a kind of loose format here. Now, I don't like to be too negative about things. You and I both come to this type of criticism with a good attitude, you know what I mean? We don't just like to stick the boot into something for the sake of it. So we'll we'll talk about our bottom three. So, so Zach, what are your other two bottom three episodes other than the Bard? <laughs> so just just go through your bottom three and, and give us a you know a couple of lines on why each one of those is there. Well, you're absolutely right. My my bottom, like from the bottom up, like now the wor- the number one worst episode of the Twilight Zone season four mm-hmm. is the Bard in my nice. book. It's just. I understand what Sterling was trying to do. And listening to your podcast, it was interesting that he was like really fought for it. I'm like, mm-hmm. of all the stories, Rod. But it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's comedy, which is bad. It's conceptually, it's bad. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Black magic books flying off, resurrecting people. It, it, it was, it, and, the, and, the, and the musical score, slide whistles and just really overplaying Ooh. their hand for comedy. Like it's just very unenjoyable to watch. Uh, and and there's nothing to take away from it either. It's like mm-hmm. what was what did we learn here? Studios interfere with writers. Okay, yeah. you know, I I love what you said. Like the joke is like, hey, they'd even rewrite William Shakespeare. I'm like, yep, that's the joke. Yeah, we got it. Let's move on. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, the, you you covered it well, and and I, I said my feedback about it in the episode too. And I that's one I would never. Like some, I'm like, you know what? I'll give that one a second chance. Maybe next time I'll, I'll see something. But I, I think that I've I've seen enough. I, I, I like the Burt Reynolds of it. That was mm-hmm. a good little making the Marlon Brando impression. Good stuff. But other than that, there's really nothing to take away from that. So that's why, to me, it's the worst episode of the season. We'll stick with you for the three, and then I'll do my okay. three. So carry on. Gotcha. Go so the, uh, the, the second worst episode of the Twilight Zone season four, I Dream of Genie. Mm-hmm. 
that's another one where it's it's comedy goes on too long it doesn't mean anything because it's all imaginary like it's just like why why did we even spend so much time in these what if scenarios yeah. Yeah, i mean entire i mean it's it's an hour long show so these these what if scenarios go on for like 15 minutes straight um even some of the humor like it, it not only like dates because it's not funny but like dates like oh that's that's kind of inappropriate <laughs> you know it's just yeah. uncomfortable to watch <laughs> some of that hollywood party humor right yeah. um and yeah so i just, i did like the main actor though i thought he was good uh he, he played the different versions like the the rich guy and then like the little guy guy like he had lots of uh shades to his performance mm-hmm. i forget the actor's name but but i think he did a good job so so that to me saved it from being the the worst episode right um, and then, and you mentioned this in the podcast too, like the, him and the genie scene is the best scene. And then he's only in the one scene and he's gone. Yeah, and like, it's kind of I would like, rather like a, like a, like a <laughs> right. Like a, like a comedy journey of the two of those guys going yeah. through stuff might've been more entertaining, but yeah, it's just not good. Not, not, not good. I dream a genie. So I could probably have guessed those two. It's this one okay. that I can't guess. So I'm very curious about this one. Go ahead. Okay. The third Worst episode of the Twilight Zone season four to me. And these are all to me, by the way. This is my course, opinion, my preference. It's okay if people love these. No hard feelings, right? We all have opinions. Jess Bell. Mm-hmm. Jess Bell, it's, it has a really weird format. It's like, hey, this is the Twilight Zone, <laughs> but in the old country times. And then no more Rod So There's no Rod Sterling outro. That is like a cardinal sin. <laughs> Like if you're a Twilight Zone episode, <laughs> there's a song like this is one I had not seen before, watching mm-hmm. it uh, for the for the podcast here with y'all, and this song kept coming on. I was like, why is this? Who's playing this music? And then about halfway through, I'm like, oh, every time they come back from commercial break, every act begins with like a verse of this song, and it's just I don't like the whole. Whenever the Twilight Zone is this time period, I'm really not a fan of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like some of the actors and actresses in it. You know, I mean that that's they're not the problem, but the story. I don't, I, I, what's the message of the story, Tom? It's like, hey, she became a witch and now she's destroyed and she's a shooting star and we lived happily ever after. I'm like, what? Like, it would have been much more tragic if he had killed her as the leopard, which is its own conversation. Why is there a leopard in this show? Didn't even know it or something. Like, at least there would have been like some, oh man, like, but it just goes on too long. It like, skips ahead like a year or something. <laughs> and you just lose entire bearings on the on the whole story and um i don't know i just i did not respond well to it and uh just for being so so different right because there's no again there's no serling outro mm-hmm. and the, and they it's like the song replaces serling and i'm like that's not this is the twilight zone guys who wrote did, who wrote this and did rod serling write this episode <laughs> i hope not it was um oh what's his name earl hamner earl ha- yeah okay all right he is yeah he writes a lot of the later episodes. He does better in season five, but he is not one of the, the greats. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he's not he's no Richard Matheson or Charles Beaumont. And hey, you know what? He is a what's a published author. But, you know, he has episodes of television to his name. And by all accounts, he seemed like a good mm-hmm. guy. So good for him. Right. He put in the work. He's had stuff broadcast on TV. I haven't done that. So mm-hmm. I you know, don't want to criticize him too hard. But this was not a good story and poorly executed. And mm-hmm. that's why, to me, it's the third worst episode 
of the season. You know, I, I appreciate you keep stressing that, Zach. To me, <laughs> we're all friends here, man, honestly. <laughs> we're, we're fine. We're fine. The thing is, Jess Bell, I would put it mid-tier, but if someone puts it bottom tier, I probably wouldn't fight them too hard on it. You know what I mean? It's not really one of those episodes where I, I hear what you're saying and I'm like, no, 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 he's wrong. He's wrong. I'm like, okay, you know what? I can see, I can see how someone could think that, you know what I mean? So, I, I, I will say, I think there's a, like the, the, the bottom two, there's like, they're at the bottom, like mm-hmm. the bottom, bottom. And then there's like a gap to the next tier. Yeah. And that's the lowest one on the next tier. So. Mm-hmm. so I'll start from the bottom as well. When we do our top five, we'll we'll go in the other direction. But uh, for this, okay. We, okay. we will start at the bottom. And my bottom one is the same as yours. It's the Bard. I'm sorry. I tried. I really did try. I never go into an episode letting the received wisdom of, you know, the internet or whatever cloud my judgment. And Mark Zickery says this is delightful in the Twilight Zone Companion. So... And my friend Zal made a very impassioned defense of it. You know, Uncommon NASA, we'll hear later on in this episode in his clip, you know, makes a very good defense of it. And they're two people who I, you know, respect a lot. But I just, I just can't stand it. I just can't stand it. It was a struggle, a real struggle. Um, and I always try and leave the episode on a, a bit of a high note. So I'm like, you know trying to pick out the positives that sailing wasn't just saying no he was having a pop at everyone in that episode he was having a pop at the actors the writers the you know the producers and i think that's kind of cool that he was doing that but would you say it's the worst episode of the twilight zone zach a lot of you know i've seen a lot of people say that yes i would say that. <laughs> no hesitation <laughs> yes <laughs> i honestly i i don't i can't think of anything that's worse um, though I mentioned this in my feedback, I think the bewitching pool is probably more infamous, mm. but there's at least some interesting stuff going on there, and it's a half hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, ha- being half as long helps, but I can't, nothing else comes to mind of like even the Carol Burnett one. Cavender is coming. Yeah, that, that one's down there. That one's down there. But again, half an hour, and Carol Burnett herself is obviously a talent for the ages, and it's really cool she was on the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So as much as I like seeing the guy from Monsters on Maple Street again, <laughs> like there's really, what else is there? So yeah, man, I for now, but maybe you get into season five because there might be some episodes of season five I haven't seen. I don't really recall because it's uh, like most of the other seasons, there's, there's a lot of episodes in it. So, yeah. but to me right now, to my memory, this is the worst one. I think the measure for me is if I was having a Twilight Zone marathon and I was just sitting watching them, would I watch it again? I think about Machines has always been one of my bottom, bottom shows. But yeah, I would probably still sit there and watch it. Like like you say, episode length probably counts for a lot. The whole truth, pretty bad episode, you know. But I might make a cup of tea, but I would still probably have it on, on in the background. The Bard, I, I just don't think I could give it that time again. And I think that is, is really what it's about. Um, I, I just never see myself even finding it that tolerable so so we won't dwell <laughs> we will just go on to uh, we're, we're in alignment yeah so far so <laughs> my number two in the bottom three which is i dream of genie 
So okay, two for two. Look at us. Probably no surprises there. You know what I mean? Because it was that was a chore. There's just no kind of rhyme or reason to it. The whole thing of they're not even actually wishes. They're just thoughts about wishes and how they could turn out. What is that about? You know, and, and like you say, uh, the most entertaining scene was the one with the genie in it, who was pretty funny, and he's gone in five seconds. Um, the main guy. I, I agree. He he was he was a good actor. It's just a shame he was in this one. Uh, so again, I won't dwell because because <laughs> it's it's just dreadful. I, I will say, you know what? It ends on a nice beat. It's the guy and his dog being genies forever. So I'm a big dog mm-hmm. lover. So I'm like, all right, good for y'all. You go on your genie and dog adventures for the end of time. So it ends <laughs> on a, on a happier note than the Bard. Anyway, we're like, hey, here's all these people from history. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Worst punchline ever. <laughs> All right, my my number three. I don't know whether this is going to ruffle some feathers or not, because again, you know, some people who I respect made a very impassioned kind of defense of this episode, but it's the incredible world of Horace Ford. It just never. Oh, okay. All right. It, it never sat right with me. I just didn't like Pat Ingle in the performance. You know, I'm going to bring up NASA again. He said a lot of stuff, and I'm like, you know what, you're right, you make a good point. But I think the thing is, when we're reviewing something, we can we can try and, you know, logic things out or think things out and let all these things change our perception of things sometimes. And that will go so far. But I think at the end of the day, it's really just about our gut, isn't it? You know, and that's what we're trying to verbalize when we review something. And this one, I just never, just never really enjoyed it at all. But it's one of those, if someone really digs it, I can say, you know what, I, I can see where you're coming from. I respect everything you say about that. But uh, but yeah, it just doesn't work for me. I can't remember what you said about that one, Zach. I, I thought they could have gone some interesting places with it, but it was confusing. You know, like the whole mechanics of the Twilight Zone like was like, so what's going on here exactly? Mm-hmm. Um, it had a lot of the... Like the stock characters, like it's the quirky guy who lives at home, his mom lives there, but he's also got a wife and all this, you know, so a lot of that going on. And uh, it could have been, I don't know, I feel like it could have been a lot better. Like there was there was something to say there, I think, as far as mm-hmm. like letting go of your childhood and stuff, you know, or talking yeah. about the old days. Like there was a lot of potential there. But I think to me, the and I, I don't rank it at like, it's like like the very bottom middle or something like, like in the, if all the episodes, right. And I like Pat Hingle as commissioner Gordon from, from the mm-hmm. Batman movies, or I can probably quote you all his lines since he only had about 25 <laughs> across the course of four movies, but he was yeah. underserved in the, in those movies. But, um, I think the crux of it, which, which sinks it for me is the reason his friends don't like him is they weren't invited to his birthday party. Uh huh. But then he creates this whole like life was good, but it really wasn't, and those things don't connect at all. Like so, I don't understand like what spurred this whole thing. Like it's perhaps there was some misunderstanding with his mom inviting his friends to his birthday party when he was eight years old or whatever. But yeah, who else like, is going to go? Thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> like who you? You have friends who are your age. Like, so I don't like. I, I thought there was like some like there's totally something we said about rose colored glasses. You go back to the yeah, past. It wasn't yeah. as good as you thought. Like so much material is there, and they went with like, sorry guys, it's I meant to invite you, my bad. Or and then they beat him up. 
<laughs> and then so I, that's the crux of the thing, right? And it doesn't connect. Uh-huh. And there's I don't know. So that that's to, if they would have been able to stick that landing, they could have said something. And I don't feel like they did. So again, I won't I won't dwell on that because I think I think some people probably like that one quite a bit. But it, it's you know sometimes our reactions are very personal to things, and that one mm-hmm. just didn't. Uh, that one just didn't work for me. Well, as far as annoying characters go, like intentionally annoying characters, mm-hmm. I do think Horace Ford is pretty good. Some other intentionally annoying characters, like uh, like Mister Mister Beavis, <laughs> like all right, that you are intentionally annoying, but also <laughs> annoying. So uh-huh. I'll give that to Horace Ford, right? Why don't we? Uh, okay, let's. I'm not sure whether this one counts that much with season four because. The whole season tends to be maybe a bit underrated. I don't know, but we'll go with underrated episode next. Do you have one that you think, you know what? This one doesn't get talked about much, but I actually actually think more of this than maybe other people think. Hmm. Looking at my list of episodes here, I would probably say I'd probably say miniature. It's one of those lost episodes. I think right, it wasn't mm. in the syndication package for a while, as as I learned from from the Twilight Zone companion. And and so nobody really th- Robert Duvall being in it is huge, like one of uh-huh. the biggest movie stars of all time. And uh, I think that was a really good character study about this guy. And you did a great job covering it and talking about how like that it worked. You know, whatever he was doing, like it, it worked. Robert Duvall, the character and the performance. And I think uh, because it's an hour long and and because it wasn't in repeats for for years, like nobody really talks about it. And uh, it's one of those. Uh, it's creepy, man. Like it's a, it's like you go to a museum and you see a doll. Like there's something like that's unsettling, right? But in like in a good way. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's 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 one of those. You can explain that to someone in one sense. Like yeah, so a guy, right? He goes to a museum and he sees a dollhouse, right? But he sees the woman in the dollhouse is alive and he falls in love with the doll, man. Like oh my god. Like that sounds like a Twilight Zone pitch, right? So uh, uh-huh. to me, that's one that that I uh, I don't I don't know if I had seen it before like maybe in Forgotten It or saw it once for this. I even forgot what I said on my feedback too because it was, it was a while back. But that's really one that stuck out to me watching it with the podcast this time. I was like, wow, this was, this was really good Twilight Zone. Well, my underrated episode is Miniature. So <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> I know. We didn't talk about any of this before. We did. This is totally cold. So this is cool. <laughs> because you know what? If... Robert Duvall's performance doesn't work for you, then I could see this episode being a write-off. So if, if you know people find it boring or or anything like that, then you know I could see how that could be the case. But for me, this is a case where episode length really kind of worked in its favor because you got you know top of his game actor doing a, a really interesting performance, all the little quirks, all the stuff going on below the surface the things we see in his home life how that's affecting him so if you can really dial into that performance then i think it is just a, a really interesting character study of a of a man who is always going against the tide and they had that wonderful opening scene where you know he's going in the museum but people are always going in the opposite direction to what he's going in you know and mm. it's just a, such a great illustration of how he lives his life you know, and there was some, you know, there was some weird stuff in there, like the the girl in the office, the way everyone was just like, you know, treating hair and stuff. That was mm-hmm. of its time, of course. But I just think, like I say, if that performance doesn't work for you, then this episode is probably a write-off. But 
I love 70s cinema. You know, you watch something like Taxi Driver. It's a very slow movie. And a lot of it is Robert De Niro just doing some inane thing or going someplace and really not saying much. But it's it's just about watching those acting choices. I'm not comparing Taxi Driver to Miniature. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, but in the same way as if the performance works for you and you just enjoy looking at what an actor is doing, then if you can dial into that, then I think that's the strength of miniature. And that's why I really love it because we can all predict a twist probably, you know, mm-hmm. because we're all Twilight Zone fans. And at this point, we've seen stuff before. So I think we can see where it's going. But it's really about the journey and what Robert Duval does in it. So I'm in agreement on that one. So miniature is cinema. You heard it here first. It is. It is cinema, and uh, yeah, it, it's something that that I've as I've grown older. You know, is so much of these things are what you bring to it yourselves, right? And it's like mm-hmm. I, I really respond well to the Twilight Zone episodes that uh, kind of deal with like dysfunctional or like kind of non ideal home life or real or like life situations. Like I'm like, oh, okay, wow. Like I, I I'm surprised that they even tackle those sorts of things. Like an episode mm-hmm. I saw later in life was a long distance call. You know, I'm like, whoa, yeah. this is like this is some heavy stuff going on here, these family dynamics and stuff. And it, it's, you know, I just think it's it's interesting that, that that that's that's kind of more true to life than like the the leave it to beaverness of the, the 50s and 60s that you would might assume that we see in every in, in every like sitcom of the time and things like that. And, and mm-hmm. not not to say that there's not a place for those kinds of setups and situations but it's interesting to, to see just like a truly like okay his sister really wants to help him but she like doesn't know how because he's socially awkward and like no one is like a clear caricature here even the mom who was like a needy mom you, you can like see the like like they, they are not two-dimensional i guess is my mm. point like there are three dimensions to all these supporting characters and uh and to your point i think it being an hour-long episode helps flesh those characters out because if you only have 25 minutes or something like the other episodes, you got to just bear it down to the bare essentials a lot. And this episode had a lot of time to breathe and, and uh, go through this guy's journey. Well, let's get into your top five. We'll start off from... It's funny, though, because <laughs> the season is 18 episodes long. If we do a bottom three and a top five, then that's eight of those 18 episodes. So it's like <laughs> almost half the season. Right. Um, but, you know, what can you do? we got to work with what we've been given. So so let's, uh, let's hear your top five and, uh, you know, a few comments on why they have that position for you. Sure. Do we, do we want to do me all five and you all five? Do you want to go back and forth? How do you want to do it? Let's break it down. Let's go back yeah. and forth then. Let's go back and forth. You know, let's... It's like five in a row is a lot to, you know, yeah. just one of us talking. So keep, keep everyone on the edge of their seats as well, I'm sure. All right. <laughs> all right. Go on. So my number five episode of The Twilight Zone season four is He's Alive. Okay. I think this is one of the best episodes of the season. I've always thought this and um, very pression to any time any place like that's the that's the point of the story right it's like this could happen at any time any place and it does a great job where it just presents a message and a pretty good story makes you think clearly we're talking about hitler and nazis so i guess in some way it is on the nose but also Mm -hmm. that's the point sometimes you need to be and i feel like they did a great job again carried by a fantastic performance by dennis hopper which i was shocked to learn in your podcast that Rod Selling was like, yeah, I guess this guy's okay. I don't know. I'm like this guy, he's the best. He's carrying this <laughs> episode, grace, Dennis yeah. Hopper. You, you can see he's destined for greatness here. And the, the whole, the paradox of the main character having the, the Jewish father figure, but becoming, it's just fascinating that like the, and um, 
I, I just, it's always stuck with me. Like, you know, it's one of the episodes I remember seeing when I was younger. I'm like, whoa, that's heavy. And, and, and it has stuck with me to this day. And as you get older, you, you appreciate it even more. So that's, that's why it's mm-hmm. my number five. Okay. All right. Well, I won't comment on that because you never know. Could be in my top five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my number five, uh, this is going to be a short one because my number five is miniature. Uh, okay. For all the reasons that I just said. So I'm not going to elaborate on that much more. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's one that I'm really looking forward to going back to, actually. So yeah, number five is Miniature. My number four episode <laughs> of The Twilight Zone season four is In His Image. Uh, oh, okay. This is the first episode of the season. And I, I think there's something about robots and duplicates and searching for your creator stuff like being a big star trek fan i felt a lot of star trek vibes in this episode mm-hmm. you know like it, it's the evil twin but he's not really evil he's just kind of messed up and uh a very striking opening too right i mean kind of hooks you with like woman starts reading you a bible verse and you throw her in front of a train and then runs away i'm like what is going yeah. on in this episode right so the and uh, i think the uh the guest actress uh the uh the fiance is one of the best uh leading ladies of the twilight zone as well uh mm-hmm. and she's in a couple episodes i forget what else she's in but uh i like her. i like all like all all involved here are, are great and i think this is uh uh for an hour-long episode i think this is another one that is helped by being an hour because you kind of go mm-hmm. through that journey of like you know goes to the town and then he, you know his his hit passes and what it thinks so it it takes you on a journey and it gives you time to breathe in that whole like the 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 end the climax i mean that's a good that's a whole act of him meeting his creator and going through all the things and if it were a shorter episode it'd be i feel like it'd be so rushed right and so mm-hmm. but it gives you time and and i think that's one of the best to, to, and I, I think this is one i saw younger as well so like the ones i saw when i was younger like the twists always like blow my mind i'm like oh man he took the place of the robot that's so like <laughs> it just blows your mind as a kid and and i and so it, it was a nice ending a happy ending as well mm-hmm. to, to what was a tragic story um so this one always stuck with me for all those reasons that's number four for me because it was the first episode of the season and i didn't really know season four and i'd heard all this stuff oh yeah season four is not great it's too long and then i watched this and i was like this is fine this is a good episode you know what i mean and it was it was such a relief in a way because i i was really coming into the season with a lot of hope and then i watched it and it was like that was a good episode what What's the big deal, you know? So we'll talk about how time plays into it later on uh, mm-hmm. in our summing up. But it, it was really nice to come to this one and be like, okay, I think we're all right. I think we're okay. Good. Um, <laughs> and then the next episode was 30 Fathom Grave. I'm like, oh no, yeah, what have I done? I take it all back. <laughs> I take it all back. So my number four is the new exhibit. It's one of those Twilight Zones that is, it, it almost feels like it, it shouldn't really be a Twilight Zone, you know? Or I don't mind that every now and again and just trying something a bit different. Sometimes it works more than others. And whether it is a Twilight Zone or not, that's so funny, isn't it? Because we've all got our different definitions of what is a Twilight Zone. I probably said it myself in my review. I can't remember. You know, maybe it's a better Night Gallery or maybe it's a better Alfred Hitchcock Presents. But whatever it is, it was just a good time. You know what I mean? Waxworks murderers and there's so many stories about waxworks at that time you know what i mean it was uh just a fun old time great central performance by martin balsam i always love watching someone sort of go to pieces on screen 
and uh, a good another good central performance that probably benefited from having some time to focus on it. So the new exhibit, that's my number four. Well, I won't say anything further because you never know. It might be <laughs> higher on my list. So Okay. <laughs> so my third best episode of The Twilight Zone Season 4 is Death Ship. I think the majority of fans, when they talk about Season 4, even if they don't like it, they're like, yeah, but that Death Ship one, that one's pretty good. And mm-hmm. um, Richard Matheson is my favorite writer of the whole show, and this, this is one of his episodes, based off one of his short stories. And uh, yeah, I mean, Jack Klugman, right, one of the big-time multi-appearance actors really anchors this. And it's cool, mm-hmm. like the whole, like, I think it's really clever that they mention all the possible situations they could be in, like as characters. So like, it's aliens, yeah. it's a time loop, it's a da 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 da. And it's like, no, it's actually something else. And and so it's it's a real effective, creepy episode. And then just how it how it is, just a never ending loop, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, right? What a that that haunts you and sticks with you. So I think I think there's a reason why this is one of the most highly regarded episodes of season four, and it is for me too. Okay, interesting. Well, I won't say anything about that. No. Uh, <laughs> I will say something about it because it's also my number three uh, on my list. So I I can't remember whether I actually read the short story in the Patreon or not. Uh, I might have done, but I, I really can't remember now. But it's such an interesting one because it is so faithful to the Richard Matheson short story, but... Uh, he's had to insert some things to pad out the runtime. Now, that can be a recipe for disaster, 30 Fathom Grave, you know, where Rod Sailing has plugged some stuff in and, and it just hasn't worked, you know. But with this one, I think it, it works just fine. And I like both versions, you know. Yeah, Jack Lugman, probably my favorite Twilight Zone actor, I, I would imagine. I disagree, Tom. <laughs> But uh, he is probably not who you would choose first for the spaceship captain role. But, yeah. you know, it, it's a quite an angsty kind of angry performance. So I think he, he's good for that kind of stuff. I also love stories where it, it's almost like they pass into, into myth, into legend, and this ship that's constantly just going around in a loop. You know, it's like... Uh, the Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three or something, you know. I love right. that kind of stuff. So, it, do, do they mention the Flying Dutchman in Death Ship as well? Do they mention it by name? Because I know in, in Odyssey of Flight Thirty Three, it's like a modern day Flying Dutchman, or I, I think so. <laughs> I, I don't know if he does now or not. Now I'm questioning it all. But these are very, those are similar. That's a great point. How they they become their own urban legend and folklore. Yeah, uh, just a sci-fi Twilight Zone twist. So, so yeah, good good number three there. So, on with your your number two, Zach. All right, well, my number two episode of The Twilight Zone Season 4 is On Thursday, We Leave for Home. Love that Forbidden Planet spaceship and <laughs> costumes here in the, in the, in the top three episodes. Uh, but yeah, this was this was an episode I didn't see till, till very late in, late in my fandom, so to speak, right? So um, this is a great episode. Like, you could, th- this is one you could say, like, well, is it Twilight Zone? Like, well, I mean, it's the future and stuff, so... <laughs> the spaceships right but nothing truly fantastical happens except for like the reality of the situation but Mm -hmm. it's such an interesting examination of a a guy with all the best intentions that 
just makes all the wrong choices at the worst possible times and micromanaging and, and all these. And it's so because you, you can look macro, you could look micro like this. The lesson they're telling here is so universal, but mm-hmm. also in a very entertaining, you're like, oh, man, because you're rooting for him. This makes it's such a tragedy because you're rooting for this guy the whole time. But it's like, man, wake up. Like, it, you don't need to be acting this way. And it, you just want to shake yeah. him. I think you even mentioned this. You're like, come on, man, just calm down. Everything's going to be fine. You mentioned <laughs> this in a podcast. Um, but yeah, it was it was fantastic. And it's all, I get so many of these strongest episodes. And I guess not just this season, but probably the whole series is, is based off the character and the performance of the main character. And, and that absolutely mm-hmm. uh, carries that one. Uh, Benteen, man, it's one of the one of, one of the great Twilight Zone characters, man. Captain Benteen. Cap- oh, excuse me. <laughs> Captain Benteen. <laughs> I would command here. So anyway, that that's that's my number two, man. I I really love really love this episode. Well, I won't say any more about that, just in case. But um, <laughs> my number two is he's alive, and okay. I think structurally, I could probably have some criticisms of it. You know, that second half because I think the first half is kind of the best. You know, the build up, the reveal of Hitler and stuff, and then. You know, so I I could probably pick some holes in it, but for the the importance of the message, and why why does Twilight Zone have to get so political, Zach? You know, why does it have to get so political? <laughs> but um, Rod Sterling never would have done this, Tom. I know, <laughs> but for the importance of the message, and and I love the fact that you know he started the Twilight Zone so he could hide things in plain sight, but by the end of the Twilight Zone. He was able to do this and it was like right the gloves are off let's get into it let's put some jabs in here and he just went for it and i love that i absolutely love that like you said you know dennis hopper was was spot on as this disaffected man child kind of thing who who is finding the acceptance that he wants just in the wrong places and I think I said when I was reviewing it, but, you know, would he really go this way if his main mentor was this old Jewish man from the Holocaust? And and I kind of take that back now. You know, everyone rebels against their parents to a degree, you know, various degrees, especially because it, it wasn't his actual parents. So this, this old guy probably was the the main focus in his life, but he wasn't his main caregiver you know what i mean so there was a lot of gaps in his life to fill and he's he's chose the worst thing to fill those gaps with so i just really enjoyed this episode and it is sailing doing what sailing does best just sticking the boot in where it needs to be stuck in and you know teaching us all a lesson so he's alive is my number two he's the he's the big one zach go on (laughs) (laughs) all right well this is it number one Right, these are our mm-hmm. number ones coming up here. So, so my number one episode of the Twilight Zone season four is the new exhibit. Okay, this is a great episode of the Twilight Zone. I and so part of the reason why I love this episode so much is that I guess I have a different opinion than a lot of people about it. I put this in the category of it's one of these ambiguous ones mm-hmm. that it's like, well, it could be this, but it could be that, mm-hmm. and it's up for you to decide. And there's really no wrong answer about it uh, because is the main character, the killer, or are these wax dummies, the killers, and they drove him insane. Mm -hmm. Either way, I think it works. And I got to say, one of the creepiest things at the Twilight Zone is the fact that they have the the foresight to cast actors and make them look like the wax figures the whole time. 
So when they do move, it's like shocking because you think it's a wax figure the whole time, as opposed mm. to like having a wax figure the whole time. And then it looked kind of different for when it moves. So you're like, oh, well, now it's going to move. But like, no, that was really smart and, and, and really creepy and shocking. And I know there's just something about the old. There is something creepy about wax museums. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> it's the uncanny valley. We talk about it today with like CGI when it's not quite right. But wax museums was that just in the back in the day. And uh, and I don't mm. know, like the, the the downfall of this character into madness or perhaps the influence of these special wax museums, like the guy being so obsessed with his work and. Like I, I bought, I bought this guy. Like it, either him doing it or him being just so taken by the wax figures that they drove him to do some things too. I, I, I like you the way, and and I think they set it up so well. Like the new exhibit, the twist is like the title. We're like he's the new exhibit, right? And that's yeah. that's so cool to me. And this is this is one that 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 really stood out to me as a, an all time great Twilight Zone episode. It's my favorite episode of the season. Very deserving, very deserving, absolutely. Well, it's no surprise then that. My number one is on Thursday, we leave for home. There you go. What a surprise this one was, you know, because I'd been enjoying the season. You know, I'm looking down the list uh, of what we got here. And there's a fair bit of mid-level Twilight Zone, you know, middle tier. And I'd enjoyed a lot of them. And we're coming to the end of the season. And I th I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I've enjoyed it. It's not as bad as people say. And then we get this one. And... I just think that uh, that main performance by James Whitmore, I think that is just one for the ages. You know, it's a shame he only did one Twilight Zone, but if he's going to do one Twilight Zone, then what a great one he has chosen. You know, another one that benefits from the length of time because it's all about the slow turn, the gradual turn. At first, he's so happy when these people come, but there's just these little comments here and there captain benteen and you can just see his his kind of barometer going from one way to the other as the episode goes on and i think it is like in miniature with robert duval it's a performance that i just can't take my eyes off i forget the gentleman's name who who he's playing it with uh, you know the spaceship captain but he is just such a perfect foil for him as well he's a benevolent captain he's he's not you know being obstructive in any way even take some of those hits that Benteen gives out, you know, but the, the interaction between them, I think, is just absolutely wonderful. So it was just a really great surprise close to the end of the season. But you mentioned something, how universal it is, and it is universal. I don't mind when Rod Sailing takes a side, you know what I mean? I, I really don't mind that because I think he is a guy who who sort of gets corrupted by power we can all relate to and I, and I think that was a, a really great kind of message you know so yeah I, I could go on about it all night <laughs> because I, I love so much about it even the staging of it the the planet that they're on the artificiality of it that actually makes it better because it, it looks so great you know um so there's just a lot to talk about I mean just to, to zoom in on on one case of what you're talking about like he spends his entire life telling people how amazing earth is we're going to get back home one day, right? And then the people show up, and it's not going to go the way he wants. So he's like, you know what? Earth sucks anyway. You don't want to go back yeah. there. <laughs> I'm like, you just, what are you talking about? Like, you completely changed your narrative because this guy disagreed with you about this thing. So it's just, and you can apply that to so many things, micro and macro, like I said. And, and it's it's frustrating, but it's so true to life. And it's, as, as all mm. great science fiction is, a commentary 
on the human condition. This is one of the, one of the best commentaries on the human condition that Twilight Zone has done. So two good top fives there, I think. Um, I think we were we had other than uh, I had in his image and you had miniature, right? Yeah. And, but other than that, like a, the order is a little different. But four out of the top five episodes are the same for us. So yeah, that's true. That's true. We have good taste, Tom. So <laughs> <laughs> let's see whether this one's going to be the same. Then, so what's your best performance of the season? Best performance of the season. That's ooh. I mean, naturally, it would have to be from one of these top five episodes, right? And um, I mean, you got to go with James Whitmore, right, as Vintine, because it's so. It's it, everything of that character is not just in the writing, just like his reactions to things. And I just like you can just read it on his face. And I, I just that carries the whole to be able to turn from like, hey, what a nice leader to like, whoa, man, like you're micromanaging mm-hmm. and you're being bullheaded and, and just to the point of your own destruction now. And to believe that turn says a lot. And that's why he'll get my vote. So I'm going to go with um, Bill Bixby and the 30 Fathom Grave. i do like a bit of bill bixby though it's it's james whitmore you know for the same reasons that you said that what you have at the beginning and what you have at the end are like so different and some of the stuff he's asked to do especially at the end is quite big but he brings a believability to it but it's all about that slow turn you know it's the it's the oil tanker turning round you know you, you can barely see it happening, but it happens. And, and by the end, it's pointing in a completely different direction. So I think I, I can't take my eyes off him in that episode. I really can't. I think he's magnificent. So yeah, James Whitmore gets my vote too. Man, we were on the same page with a lot of that stuff. A lot of it. <laughs> what a rundown, right? Of, of everything. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I You know, yeah. I, I got to say, I think I think most people would probably zero in on those same episodes like i think most people's Mm -hmm. top five of this season i think it's pretty clear now of course every now and then there'll be a random other episode but but i think the general if you if you pulled 100 twilight zone fans i bet bet 90 of them would have three or four of these top five episodes in in their top five you know we we spoke about your thoughts coming into it your expectations at the other side of it i mean you said in your last bit of feedback i think that this is this is still probably your least favorite season which is fine something's got to be it doesn't necessarily make it bad but after you know this two-year journey through this season that we've had especially with episode length in mind what what's your overall thoughts of it now at the other side of it well it'd be interesting to to see if it had been a full season like if there were 30 of these like how how it would feel like they might have like really worn on you after a time especially if the quality wasn't there because i mean out of 18 i think i think the both of our top fives are probably like, hey, you you could name those upon among the best of the best, right? The Twilight mm-hmm. Zone. Uh, but that leaves what is that like uh, thirteen other ones, which is like <laughs> a very large percentage of the season that you really wouldn't come up with. But I yeah, I would never I would never skip this if I'm doing a rewatch. You know, I guess that's the mm-hmm. the greatest judge if it's truly like, because eh. with an episodic show, you can totally skip it, and it's not gonna <laughs> you can totally skip it and afford to if you're rewatching a show. Yeah. But it, there's, there's definitely a lot of worth here. Even a lot of the episodes that we didn't mention, there's some great performances, some great ideas. You know, it can at least spring off some conversation points, you know. And uh, and I think that's that's what this stuff is all about, right? So so I would I would say call it a a worthwhile trip to the Twilight Zone, the fourth season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking down some of these episodes that we never really talked about because they weren't 
bottom or they weren't top, you know, things like the parallel, which good episode, you know, uh, no time like the past, good episode. Uh, and, and some of them you can pick a few holes in and things like that. But I think the overarching question with this season is episode length, isn't it? Are they too long? And I think the only time I really felt they were too long was when it was just a bad episode, you know what I mean? But a bad episode of anything is a bad episode, no matter what the length is. It's just you probably felt it a bit more because of the episode length. You know, I've I've often said, you know, Mr. Beavis is probably bottom tier Twilight Zone, but I, I can latch on to the, the good things in it. It's got a good message, you know, the misfits in life, you know, even though it's not really one of my favorites, but if it was an hour long, I probably wouldn't watch Mr. Beavis again. So my takeaway is that, you know, when when everyone was talking episode length, episode length, I found it really a non-issue with this episode, uh, sorry, with this season, because a bad episode is a bad episode no matter what. And, you know, I felt the length of the bad episode, certainly, you know, and you got the 30 Fallon Grave, which could have been a good episode if it was a bit shorter and it had a better ending. So, yeah, maybe that's one example. With the likes of The Bard and I Dream of Genie, I don't think I would have liked them that much, even if they were 30 minutes. So I, I find this whole episode length thing a bit of a non-issue. And I'm actually thankful for the likes of, uh, you know, on Thursday we'll leave for home because I, I wouldn't want to spend a second less with Benteen than I spend in this episode. Totally, so yeah. It's a non-issue for me, and I'm glad that we've had this journey through it for the past couple of years, and where does it sit? It's probably still my least favorite season, but that's not to say it's a bad season, you know? Yeah, I think you said it best that if this were the season that killed the Twilight Zone... <laughs> <laughs> be people have, have more of a righteous you know anger against it because you're like look what you did you were too long and they canceled you but um yeah. that that wasn't that wasn't the case and uh and yeah i mean season four right it will always have that special well you know these are an hour right here <laughs> i'm gonna flip the narrative zach though i'm gonna flip it <laughs> Okay. I'm going to say, it's not going to be, oh, they're an hour. I'm going to be like, these are an hour, <laughs> you know? Get, get t- twice as long in the Twilight yeah. Zone. How can you say <laughs> no to that? So Exactly. So coming up in season five then, man, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to being covered on the show? I can maybe guess one. Well, I'm glad you asked, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done the Shatner impression a couple of times. Can't tell what that is. But yes, I am very excited about Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. This is my favorite episode of The Twilight Zone. I'm sure the whole Star Trek factor, William Shatner, is like, it's, it's. I, I can't say exactly, like, what the connection, like, what came first or whatever, but, like, do I like it because it's Captain Kirk and The Twilight Zone? He's in it a couple of episodes, both of which are in my, mm-hmm. like, top 10 overall. Um, but I, I just think it's a fantastic story, and, and, like, every time I'm on a plane, how do you not think about Nightmare on 20,000 feet how pop culture has it's got to be one of the most embraced episodes or stories or moments of the twilight zone into pop culture with the Nightmare on 20,000 mm-hmm. feet thing so many parodies and so many but anyway I, I'm stoked about that one obviously living dolls another all-time great episode in, in season five and, and so there's a, there's a lot of good stuff in, in season five and uh again like you know I was I joked about Smallville a little bit earlier Smallville is 218 episodes right Mm-hmm. they're not all great but i'm glad there's 10 seasons worth 
right? So the same yeah. thing with the Twilight Zone. It's like, yeah, four <laughs> and five, I think, are generally considered a step down between one, two, and three seasons of the Twilight Zone. But aren't you glad we have like 150-something episodes instead of like 90? So mm-hmm. I'm excited. Well, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet is going to be a deep dive because there's too much history, what came before and what came after, to just uh, have a short Twilight Zone podcast on that one. But I hope you'll join me on the Patreon for a commentary on that one, Zach. Thousand percent. You don't have to ask me twice. I am there. <laughs> so We could do that one concurrently, so, uh, so that'd be good. That is season four of the Twilight Zone. Who'd have thought we'd ever get here? I know ever you know, it's been a it's been a crazy couple of years. I wanted to do it in a year. It ends up being two, but what a strange two years those have been. So I hope <laughs> I hope people can uh, forgive me that. But I you know, I also got in the, the second season of the new Twilight Zone in as well. So yeah, I'm looking forward to season five. So Zach, what are you up to, man, podcast wise? Where can people find your work? Got way too much going on in the podcast world <laughs> as usual. So always fall to Smallville, as we mentioned a couple of times here. I go through each and every episode of that young Superman show. Uh, you can find mm-hmm. us on Twitter at always Smallville with one S. And I got a couple of shows on the United Federation of Podcasts. I got Sasswatch, I do with Ken Tripp. We talk about the cultural phenomenon of Bigfoot. It's a monthly yeah. show. And then I have Franchise Fatigue uh, with our mutual friend Brandon Shea Matella. We talk about movies, mm-hmm. reboots, remakes, and when franchises get fatigued. You've been a guest on a couple of franchises so far, Tom. Uh, so good stuff. And you can find us on Twitter at UFP Earth with those. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for skipping the dimensions, Zach, and, and joining me on this one. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So that's our thoughts on season four. Let's hear what you think. And we'll play out with some friends of the show and their thoughts on season four of The Twilight Zone. I'll speak to you next time. Hi, Tom. Al here. I don't have to tell you that overall I'm a big fan of the fourth season, but it's not perfect. In fact, it's like that opening line of Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, with the best of zones and the worst of zones. I used to say that my two least favorite Twilight Zones came from season four, but Uncommon NASA's comments on mute made me see that episode in the new light, and I no longer listed among my worst. But I dream of genie is still there, hopelessly long and composed of nothing but idle thoughts and daydreams until it arrives at a letdown of an ending. There isn't any other episode that I care to watch less than I dream of genie. Part of that is its length, because obviously it's easier to get through a bad half-hour episode than it is a bad hour episode. But for the most part, I don't find the hour-long length to be a problem. Yes, There are episodes like the 30 Fathom Grave where things happen several times when they only need to happen once. It reminds me of the old Procter & Bergman comedy routine where they say, listen carefully, please, because we will use five words where one will suffice. But there are plenty of shows where the longer length enhances the episode, I think, like Death Ship, like Printer's Devil, like The New Exhibit. And speaking of the new exhibit, I know there are many of us who consider this to be the best of the hour-long episodes. For me, though, it's down the list a little bit. It's not that I don't like it, but that, for me, there are half a dozen or so that I like better. My two favorite season four episodes are also my two favorite episodes of the entire series, Death Ship and On Thursday We Leave for Home. I've never been able to decide which one I like best. Instead, I think of them as the best of Serling and the best of Matheson. On Thursday, we leave for home, being Serling's brilliant, carefully constructed look at how power and celebrity and control corrupt even the best of us. With everyone meaning well, 
but with tragedy still in the offing. And then it has the biggest gut punch of an ending in the entire series. Death Ship is a brilliant little puzzle that is solved right away. But then Matheson takes it away from you through the force of the captain's personality, getting you to buy into one explanation after another along with the crew until it shocks you by returning to that first solution. And like on Thursday we leave for home, through one character's corruption by power and control brings about a tragedy, but of a very different kind. Made so heart-wrenching by Mason's plea to please let us go. I'm not going to go on and do a full list. But I do have to also mention Jess Bell, which I think is Earl Hamner's best Twilight Zone script. He's Alive, which is a powerful piece on homegrown fascism, sadly still relevant today. Miniature, one of the most charming episodes of the series. Passage on the Lady Anne, perhaps the series' best love story. The Incredible World of Horace Ford, Reginald Rose's masterpiece, along with Twelve Angry Men. And yes, The Bard with Rod's surgical strikes at the industry around him. To quote myself from my unpublished article, and what episode better begs you to quote yourself than The Bard? It is how Rod saw the television networks, the sponsors, even the method actors of the theater in their pursuit of profit or gritty realism, cheapening the product, in spite of Julius's agent, Mr. Hugo, telling him that television is preoccupied with talent. Julius is not equipped to handle this hypocrisy. In fact, Julius is part of the problem because the whole culture is part of the problem. And one more, In His Image, because, well, you know my story about In His Image. So that's half of the episodes right there. And that's not even including the new exhibit or Printer's Devil or Valley of the Shadow, which are also pretty darn good. Okay, I recognize that there may be reasons why I love season four that have nothing to do with the quality of the shows. That discovery of In His Image, for example, when I learned that the scene I'd seen as a kid actually existed. Also, I saw all of these for the first time as an adult, when I could appreciate them better than many of the half-hour shows I saw growing up. And that discovery of new Twilight Zones. Not the 80s Twilight Zones or the recent Twilight Zones, but real Twilight Zones written by Serling and Matheson and Beaumont. Shows that felt like new because they not only hadn't been seen in years, they weren't even talked about. They weren't mentioned. When, in my college years, they announced that these hour-long shows were going to be seen again, it was like receiving an unexpected gift, like opening up a surprise package from a close friend. So all of that does factor in, but it still comes down to the episodes themselves. And yes, some of them are bad, and some of them are too long, but some of them are the best the Twilight Zone has to offer. What more do you want in a season? Hi, Tom. It's Chad here, coming to you from... Well, actually, I'm coming to you from quarantine. I've unfortunately had an exposure to COVID-19, uh, despite lots of uh, following lots of protocols, being vaccinated, giving up the gym and lots of other things uh, that I used to like to do. But uh, sometimes luck uh, does not go your way. All's okay, um, but you know, gotta gotta be in quarantine for a few days. So, thought I would send in a contribution to the season four wrap up. Uh, I think what I'm gonna do on this is just sort of list my top five uh, episodes from season four. 
and maybe a few special uh, special mentions. What I decided to do was, you know, I, I just thought about what impressions, what episodes left impressions and what sort of what stood out, you know, without thinking too hard about it or reviewing too much, you know, what, what episodes left an impression. So I also know our, our statistician Harold likes to do the, uh, the tabulation. So decided to do it in a top five kind of format, uh, just really quickly. So my number one episode that I'm going to go with on season four and as for season four, I don't think I'd seen any of these ever. They weren't in syndication when I was growing up, so this was this was all new territory. And I probably wouldn't have watched them if I wasn't following along with the podcast. So uh, really cool to, to be able to spend the time with these. Uh, so thanks to the Twilight Zone podcasts for uh, inspiring that time. So my number one episode that I'm going with is on Thursday, we leave for home. I think overall, this was just the most memorable and the most well done and the most compelling. Uh, so much depth to the characters and to the story. Um, you know, the, the people trapped on the asteroid and they're able to come home, the sort of uh, examination of sort of cult leaders and religious leaders and the sort of good and the bad that that can come of that uh, was just really the standout episode for me. So my number one is on Thursday, we leave for home, top-notch episode. Number two is actually going to be a tie, if I'm allowed to do that. And since I'm making up my own rules, I am allowed to do that. My tie is between Jess Bell and Mute. And what's interesting about this for me is both of them left a, a real lasting impression on you know my memory of of seeing them both visually and in the story and both of them were episodes that I really was conflicted about and didn't like on the one hand I did like them because they were visually arresting they were really compelling they made me think they made me sort of grapple with myself but both of them violated one of my favorite uh, things about the twilight zone or you know patterns of the twilight zone which is the twilight zone always puts you in the shoes of the other and that's what i love about it the most you know at the end of the show you find out you're the alien you're the other and so it really you know compels you to empathy and thinking about what it's like to be the other. And, you know, as somebody who has sort of been different from others, you know, since I was a little kid, you know, all of that is something that really tracks with me. And so in, in Mute, you know, that was a challenging one because honestly, that character, she had telepathy, she was a mute, she didn't communicate like others did. Instead of the show at the end sort of saying, it's okay to be different, you just have different, you know, qualities and gifts it sort of had a conformist message. So at the end, you need to be like everybody else. And, you know, the, the teacher was, you know, really torturing the kid. That was hard to watch. The, the mother character, the adoptive mother, was sort of, you know, obsessed and, and manipulative. And so I thought, you know, that's, you know, and the father was that sort of typical 50s man with the pipe and, you know, like the women are the sort of villains. And so I didn't like that either. But the, the episode did stand out. It really made me think a lot and sort of made me uncomfortable and really art is supposed to make you uncomfortable so that's why that that's a number two it's also tied with Jess Bell I think I recorded on Jess Bell um, it really stood out I thought it was visually beautiful but it had that sort of it sort of put us in the shoes of the witch hunters for me you know it, 
did flesh out the motivations of the characters and you did empathize with them. But in the end, you know, they, they turn Jess Bell into a leopard and shoot her to death. I mean, it's, it, it sort of, to me, was too sort of on the side of the, the, the Puritans and the witch hunters, you know, so I, I, I didn't like it, but it did make me, uh, you know, it, it was a conflict and it did make me think and it did stand out, you know, when I thought back about the season, that was one that stood out. So number three is for me is 30 Fathom Grave. This one just was so simple, but well done. That ringing, that sound that nobody knew what it was. It just was very much like an Edgar Allan Poe and it was really well done and, and it, it stood out for me. So that's my number three. Number four for me was Printer's Devil, the wonderful Burgess Meredith. Uh, you know, it's sort of a well done story. It's, it's kind of a well trotted ground, but I thought it was really well done. And, uh, and that one stood out for me a lot. I really enjoyed that one. So that's my number four. Number five, I went with the new exhibit. Um, it had some flaws for me, but at the same time, I really liked the idea of these wax museum figures kind of, did they come to life or was it really the, the madness of the person who was obsessed with them? Uh, and sort of how it left you to figure out what really happened in the end. I thought that was really well done. I love the use of, you know, shadows and, and, uh, the examination of, of, of the characters and how, you know, that, that just stood out to me as a good horror episode. So that's my top five special mentions for the season. I really did like this season. Some special mentions are for Cliffordville. Um, I loved, of course, Julie Newmar's performance. That really put that episode over, uh, not just because I'm a fan of hers, but because it was a really, you know, well-done performance that made the show better than it would have been. I love, it, it did go over familiar territory, like, uh, you know, walking walking distance and that sort of you can't go home again theme, but it also gave a really good comeuppance for the villain character based on his own greed and, you know, trying to exploit people and wanting to go back in time for the wrong reasons. You know, you could understand that he wanted to relive the glory years, but he was, he was just about, it was, it was an examination and a excoriation of all of the sort of evils of, you know, rampant capitalism and greed. And, and, uh, so I, I like it for that reason. So that's a special mention Horace Ford. That was a controversial episode, but a visual that still stands out. When I think of Horace Ford, I think of that last scene with that bully with the missing tooth sitting on top of the lamppost, looking really menacing, like a gargoyle. And, you know, to have a child be this menacing character, that, that was a visual that stood out as a real horrific and interesting thing. So, uh, I'm going to give a special mention to Horace Ford for that reason. And, uh, I think lastly, I think, uh, in his image, uh, was, was also one, uh, that I, that I, that I liked and would give a special mention to, but, uh, that's, that's too much time for me. I think we're clocking in at eight minutes. Uh, hopefully I didn't take up too much time there, but that's my top five, uh, for season four, really loved season four and, uh, it's October time. Uh, hope those that are going to Serling Fest have a great time, hoping to be there in person next year and to do some of the online stuff. Anyway, cheers, everybody. Take care. Tom, this is Jennifer from North Carolina, and I've got a few things to say about the episode called The Mute. Um, so right off the title, uh, I sort of identify with that a little bit. Um, people don't react well to people who speak less 
I'm not mute, obviously, but my natural state is a little less talkative than most people, introverted, such that I was relentlessly teased about it as a kid and even as an adult. Um, I came away with the impression early on that I was different, but in a bad way, um, that I should be more like my younger sister, who was called a social butterfly. I was always told to come out of my shell and um, to get out of my comfort zone. Um, so I, who I was was not acceptable. So I felt initially like I would identify with this mute character, whoever she is. Um, but, uh, I'm so conflicted about a lot of things in this episode. Um, since there was a mute child in this speaking society, I thought, um... I wanted it to be a story about acceptance, like the episodes about aliens, how we think we're so different, but then we accept or embrace the differences, and we find we're quite similar. I think you could still see the acceptance in the episode in the end. There's the affection between the adoptive mother and the child, maybe, but more troubling to me is the manipulation with the burning of the letters. I mean, those people knew her parents. I was sort of pulling for a reunification on that front. Um, but I suppose you could explain that as a positive if we were given more information about this project being absolutely harmful and the members not being like family, but more cutthroat, like a secret U.S. government operation or the KGB or something. So uh, in a scene with the German couple, uh, who seem kind of like just a plot device to dump information, really. Um, it feels out of place. But uh, we find her parents didn't really love her, so maybe the project is bad. But I see a lot of parents who work hard and don't love their kids less, so I don't know if that's terribly convincing. Um, they were, and also they were made out to be kind of these outsiders, bad foreigners, which is not very Twilight Zone, in my opinion. Um, at the beginning, everyone just assumed Ilsa couldn't communicate and wasn't educated. Um, if so, if that's true, I'd agree with several characters who worried about child welfare and the parents neglecting her education. But honestly, I just assumed she was in fact educated and could communicate, as the evil teacher uh, bear with me. I, I'll explain that. <laughs> uh, the evil teacher did do telepathy with her and accused her of talking to dead people. So it was proven she can communicate, just not in the way that's accepted in this particular society. Um, we had satanic panic in the United States. It might be a little early for that. Um, I don't know the timeline, but, um, so that was a weird conformist aspect that to me wasn't very Twilight Zone again. Um, so let me talk about that evil teacher. So, uh, there's several things that just didn't sit well with me and this teacher, even though she was supposed to be teaching her how to speak, and which is um, the key to communicating with everyone. Um, but uh, she said the fire was a blessing of Ilsa's life. I was absolutely horrified. I mean... I hate when people say that everything happens for a reason. It's possible it provides comfort for some people, maybe the religious people, 
But I think things just happen sometimes. There's no explanation. Uh, I just do not like this woman. This teacher seems to be also a device for maybe misleading us or pushing a theme. Um, she really blames the dead parents. She's really intent on that. She says she'll make Ilsa just like everyone else. Again with the conformity. Um, I almost imagine evil after at that point. Um, so that could be sinister. Or you could take it also more benignly, just about a basic acceptance. A need for education and communication, which I totally agree with. Those things are very positive things. But it was just delivered in such an odd way. Like, I'm going to make you carbon copies or robots exactly alike. Um, so I would have liked them to do something with the ways people communicate. Or that we don't have to be all the same. Instead of leaning into that conformity. Like it feels like he did. Uh, maybe she learns to talk and others learn telepathy. That was sort of done in the classroom with the kids thinking her name. But she was shamed and humiliated in that process, so I'd argue this wasn't positive at all. I thought for sure the teacher was going to hit her with that ruler, which also just made me flinch. I just didn't understand um, that, if the teacher was supposed to be a positive um, presence. And the, the ruler and she accused her of being a medium and really got up in her face. It was just... Um, <laughs> I just didn't see that as a positive at all either and um, I know in the end the point was supposed to be love casting out fear and that's I think it's an okay theme and I think there's enough to support that they're happy enough at the end it looks like but I felt some of the things the mother and the teacher did were just borderline abusive and maybe diabolical and there were just too many things that pushed conformity where Twilight Zone usually doesn't. And um, and also, this girl had a gift. She may have been born with it, whereas her parents had to learn the telepathy. So, I mean, somebody who's special like that has to be, has to suppress this gift to gain her mother's new love? What kind of lesson is that? <laughs> but, uh, but if the project is in fact sinister, maybe... It represents the seed of fascism or some ideology that breeds fear in the adherence. Uh, you might get that theme of love casting out fear a little clearer. Uh, it just wasn't so, so clear to me. Hi, Tom and fellow Twilight Zone fans. This is Chip from Washington, D.C. with thoughts on season four of the original series. I'm going to do a bottom five, top five kind of thing. I'm going to start with the bottom five so I can end on a good note. I think my least favorite episodes of this season were Jess Bell, of late I think of Cliffordville, The Incredible World of Horace Ford, The Bard, and I didn't really have a fifth, but I guess I ended up deciding on In His Image. Um, in Cliffordville and the Horace Ford, I just really didn't like the actors. I really didn't like the choice of uh, voice inflection the guy did in Cliffordville. And in Horace Ford, he just didn't strike me very much. I also really didn't like the character of Horace Ford itself. Uh, it just really annoyed me. The Bard, I didn't even remember until doing this recap. And I don't really have anything against In His Image, like I said. But in looking at it, all the episodes of the season, I like the other 13 better than this one. 
Out of these five, I really disliked Jess Bell. Uh, I feel a bit unjustified because I can't truly describe why. It's been a few years since I've seen it. I don't remember it that clearly, even listening to your episode on it, Tom. I just remember disliking it so much that I don't want to watch it again. My top five episodes, in no particular order, are Mute, Valley of Shadow, On Thursday We Leave for Home, Printer's Devil, and The New Exhibit. For Mute, I remember being really affected by this episode. Uh, I thought the idea of raising a telepathic child or children around the world was pretty interesting. And I really felt the tragedy for for Ilsa losing her family. Because for her, they weren't just, quote-unquote, like exterior family members that, you know, say they love you and give you hugs and affection. They This family intimately knew each other's thoughts and feelings and, and love. Um, then the teacher was so mean and forceful to not only just a child in general, but also a girl who had just lost her family. Um, the episode does fall apart a little bit for me because I can't believe her parents taught her nothing of the outside world, nor how to read and write. Like, when she goes into town, she cannot communicate at all, and I just can't see her not being able to at least read and write, especially because there's so much more in books, like stories and, and information that her parents could probably teach her. Um, although the example in the episode, I think, was... Her parents taught her what a sailboat was by sharing memories of actually being on the water in a boat, and books can't really do that. For Valley of Shadows, I loved the moral quandary of this episode. You have a device that can do or build anything, but what would humanity do with it? So you decide to keep it a secret, but then what do you do when an outsider finds it? These are really great things to think about. Um, In the episode, you know, I think Philip... He makes a gun, and the townspeople remark that that's the first thing he did with it. And But it was kind of a catch-22. Philip, they were keeping him there against his will, so the only way to get out was to get a weapon. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a really interesting episode. The weak part for this one, for me, was the, like, almost instantaneous love story. I, that just There was nothing to make these two characters really attract to each other and her to change her stance against the town. But on Thursday, we leave for home. In listening to your episode on this, Tom, and the listener opinions, I found that I have a different take on Benteen's motivation than you all did. It seems like you all thought he had a sudden power trip, or that he became like he just he just wanted to hang on to his power and that I'm in charge. Uh, but I saw it as a desperation move to keep everyone together. All the colonists had started talking about going their separate ways once they got back to Earth, and that's when his mentality starts to change. He was fine when they, with the prospect of going back to Earth. But then they, he was talking about, hey, when we get back, you know, we'll keep this group together. We're going to stay together. And everyone's like, no, I'm going to go here and see my old family or relatives, you know, great-grandparents, whatever. Um, I also liked, really liked the acting in this episode and the sets and costumes. You could really feel the heat and grunginess just looking at the colonists and what life must have been like on that planet. For Printer's Devil, kind of like my bottom five, I didn't really have a fifth. So this one, I didn't really have a fifth either. But I put it in because of Burgess Meredith. He's really great. And, you know, he's the the playful devil, kind of messing things up. It was just a really fun episode. And then last but not least is the new exhibit. I'm a big fan of horror genres. And right from Jump, meeting Martin and the wax figures, this episode had that feeling of like something is going to go bad. Um, 
again, when I listened to your episode on this, and I, it was either you or your listener feedback, someone mentioned that it may have been Martin killing everyone all along. I never really considered that the first time I saw it. I just thought it was just simply the wax figures come to life. Um, but I've really come to like that theory, and the next time I watch this episode, I'm going to keep an eye out for that. Anyway, thanks for your coverage of Season 4, and I look forward to Season 5, and my full rankings are in the email. Thank you. Hello, this is Chris Phantom, coming back to talk about The Twilight Zone Season 4. I gotta say, Tom, thank you so much again for giving me an opportunity to take part. Uh, You actually allowed me to chime in on the new Twilight Zone of the uh, Among the Untrodden. You let me speak on that episode. So thank you for letting me do that. I had to jump in and speak about season four because I thought season four was extremely special. Season four is known as being uh, the worst season because of how long those episodes are. But there are some gems, and I'm not going to spend too much time uh, rallying on on all 18 episodes. But I will say, In His Image was an amazing episode. It was like a, a movie in uh, an hour. I love the the script. I love the writing. I thought it was very engaging. Uh, it kept you guessing until the end. And I think what happens a lot of times is you go back and you look at the episode, but you don't take into consideration when it was written, you know, when this script was conceived, what year, you know, we don't think about that stuff and how forward thinking that idea is. You look at uh, shows like Black Mirror and you appreciate what you see, but to know that there's a line drawn directly from the Twilight Zone and how forward thinking the idea of this episode was um, with, with with him being um, in this reality where he really didn't understand what was happening, why it was happening. Uh, he didn't understand time, you know, like his, he couldn't think back past a certain period and once it all came down to it and you see that you know he's an actual clone it's hard to be extremely critical on anything that was considered to be a shortcoming when that concept was just so beyond its time so I love that episode uh in his image might be my favorite episode of season four um but he's he's alive obviously and a, a, a just a classic episode. I've seen that episode maybe four or five times. Um, we've already fleshed that episode out. It's amazing. Love it. Uh, let me see. Here's the episode that I don't think many people appreciate. Jess Bell. I loved Jess Bell. I loved it because... It, it it really spoke to me because a lot of times we always wonder in life as you get older, you think about the person that kind of threw themselves at you and either you ignore this person and once you ignore this person, you always wonder, 
What if? What if I decided to spend time with this individual? You know, would it work? Would it not work? That kind of turned that whole concept on its head because you look at this one person and we can see it from her perspective of what it's like to throw yourself at someone that isn't interested. And you look at her perspective and how she was willing to sacrifice everything for this man's attention. And the line that really just really dug deep, you know, when the mother asked, what did you pay her? What did you pay her? Once she saw her daughter just having no control over her form, over her shape, having to uh, be pretty much a uh, an animal or a monster of herself once the moon came. She said, what did you pay her? And her response was, you know, I paid with my hands, my brain, my body, my heart. You know, like when she said that, it hit me so deep because I said to myself, the things that we sacrifice to try to make something work that shouldn't work, that's what you sacrifice. I've been in a situation where I was trying to, you know, fit a square peg into a round hole. And that episode really, really just drove it home. One thing people need to understand about the Twilight Zone, I think, is there's so much nuance in every episode. There's so many lessons to be learned in every episode that you really can't just pigeonhole it and just look and say, well, I didn't like the, I didn't like this part. I didn't like that part. You know, this, this script is, you know, might not have landed in this perspective, but I can look and just pull out so much nuance throughout every episode and say, wow, this, this one segment's going to stick with me. And, you know, even in her, uh, in her cursed form, you know, she went back to the witch and she begged to have her life back and it was too late. And she was cursed to be that uh, that individual chasing after him forever. So I really thought that that was really, really good. Um, moving along, I I like Printer's Devil. I thought it ended kind of, you know, kind of happy. And I didn't like the fact that he kind of got away with uh, being... Uh, you know, being freed at the end, you know, I kind of thought the devil was going to take his soul, but that didn't happen. Still thought it was good. Um, the Incredible World of Horace Ford. I got to talk about this episode. The reason why that episode stood out to me so well and stood out to me so effectively is we always go back. I'm telling you right now, I think about when I was nine years old or 10 years old, and those are the best days. I was raised in a, I didn't have the best household because my, my dad was an absolute jerk and I was, I, I had to be with a narcissist and he was a pretty mean person, but those days were still the best because I had my close friends with me when I was, you know, nine and 10 and 11 years old. And I can go back and think about how wonderful those moments were. And I can think about other moments, you know, like certain things that happened when I was a kid, but we don't, we don't conceive the truth that we probably only really remember 2%, maybe 3% of what really happened. And we kind of formulate 
in our mind what we really think happened. My son is 12 years old, and he brings up all these memories that didn't happen. He'll take one portion from one from one day or one month or one year, and he'll interpolate it with another moment in another time in another location. He doesn't even know he's doing it. And I piece it together for him, and I said, well, no, this didn't happen that way. This is how it happened. So the Incredible World of Horace Four really just really presented the truth there where you think that you had the best time and you had the best existence and you had the best memories and, and the best experiences. And if you were to go back and look and say, these weren't that great, these these memories weren't that great, these times weren't that great. So as far as the script and how it was drawn out, uh, there were some questions with the episode. Uh, it, was that little boy real? Was he not real? As far as the, the kid that would come and uh, knock on Horace's door. Um, don't really know if that really happened, if if he was really there or not or whatnot. But there's a few things you piece together. His He was a, a little anxious, uh, Horace. And you look and say, well... Is he somebody with emotional issues? Does he have, um, you know, mental issues? Was he somebody that, you know, was disturbed in one way or another? You'd ask those questions. But I really liked that episode. I really liked how it was written. And just to wrap things, I would say that on Thursday, Relief for Home was just a great episode. Love that episode so much because I was raised with a narcissist. My dad is a narcissist. He's in his he's almost 70 and he's probably the you know most arrogant person there is. That episode really showed the definition of the God complex and how important you feel like you are and how important control is. And once he was in a position to relinquish control, it was impossible for him to do. Narcissists are cursed because they will die unchanged. And he was afraid of change, so he decided to die alone. But that's my recap on the season. I thought it was really, really good. I love the hour episodes. The majority of them were very good. Um obviously the bar was one of the worst episodes of all time. It was trash. You talked about it. You tried to be funny with the script. It wasn't, uh, it was very annoying to me. And you know, the season would have been better without it. And there was no nuance to that episode. I could not pull anything out of it. That was good outside of, uh, the Marlon Brando impersonation by Burt Reynolds. That's all I got. Thank you guys again. Um, thank you, Tom. And, Thank you all for listening. I will see you again in season five. Hello, Tom. This is once again Dave from Germany. And I'd like to congratulate you on successfully making it through the minefield that was season four. Sadly, I can't really give you a ranking of my favorite season four episodes because... <laughs> and I'm a little bit embarrassed just saying this, but it's been about two years now since I last saw it in its entirety, and it wouldn't be fair to the season to now do one from memory. I originally intended to 
rewatched the whole show by this point, but just kind of stopped for a while in early season three, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the whole COVID situation making me seek out somewhat more upbeat media. What's funny about this whole ratings thing is that at this whole party been about half a year later, I might have been able to give you my precise ratings because that's actually something I'm doing during this rewatch. I have a little Excel spreadsheet I always type my ratings into for each episode after I've watched it. My goal with this was to basically chart where the show's decline may have started, where it might have hit a lull or where its peak was, really, when just looking at admittedly subjective ratings. For instance, I don't know what you thought of The Bard, but I guess I will by the time this comes out. I know that even that episode has its defenders and I'm just not one of them. I think it's horrible. <laughs> just like how my favorite Twilight Zone episodes is one of the most hated episodes. For some reason, I can't see why. I absolutely love this one. That being Come Wonder With Me. And I'm glad that you found season 4 to be less of a slog than initially feared. And as I'm reading Perchance to Dream, the... Uh, collection of Bowman short stories that is I just can't help but think your voice would be perfect for this I'd love to hear that in your voice I just finished the second story The Jungle which I liked much better than the TV episode but it really wasn't filmable not at the time anyway <laughs> maybe not even now not in the TV budget now uh, speaking of Bowman as you have already mentioned season Four was more or less his last hurrah. He wasn't really able to contribute to season five, as we all know. And I suspect that that may have been one of the reasons why season five, in my opinion at least, is where the show really declined. It was missing one of its most prolific and most consistent writers. And all of the additional writers just couldn't quite uh, pick up the slack the, or fill the hole that Bowman left behind. He was a one-of-a-kind writer with an amazingly vivid imagination. I wish we could have seen what he might have come up with. Ray Bradbury's uh, foreword to Perchance to Dream, again, the collection that is pretty much puts it more eloquently than I ever could. Anyway, I bet that's just about all you can stand of me. <laughs> so have a nice day. Bye. Hi Tom, Trevor from Ireland here. Long time listener, uh, listening maybe a year and a half. Um, and myself and my daughter and son have actually listened to all the, the uh, podcasts episodes in that time so we've uh we've listened to about it's over 10 years of podcasts uh in a year and a half so it's not bad going so well done love your show you do a great job
I have to say. So without any further ado, let me get into my feedback and my opinions on season four of The Twilight Zone. Season four is exceptional overall. Um, but even though that it, I'm saying it is exceptional, it's still, for me, it ties uh, with season five as the weakest season of the five that's not too much of a disservice to pay it because seasons one to three the quality was you know just so exceptional but season four is still is still up there there's 18 episodes in the season and i break them down like this so three episodes stand out way above the rest i think three of the 18 make at the top very very top tier twilight zone for me and those three episodes are as follows Number one, Dead Chip. It's a fantastic episode. Really enjoyed this one. Jack Cluckman as ever is amazing. As are all the actors in this episode. Great story, great mystery. And it just keeps you guessing until the end. And I, I just love it. And so that's a 10 out of 10 episode for me. Brilliant. The second episode I feel isn't the top tier is the new exhibit. So the new exhibit, you know, it's very scary. Um, a lot of tension in there all the way through. Great story. You know, it's just very well done. Very well done. The end of it is amazing as well. Um, loved it. So this one for me, 10 out of 10. Just, just love the new exhibit as well. And the third top tier Twilight Zone episode of season four is... On Thursday, we leave her home. So what an amazing story. What an amazing episode. It's just brilliant from start to finish. And I've watched it so many times. This one is, if push came to shove, probably my favorite of the season. Uh, it's just an amazing, there's so many amazing lines in it. You know, you just uh, never get tired of hearing so many truths about the beautiful earth that we live in. Um, we live on. It's an amazing story in it. Just like the new exhibit, it has a really, really memorable ending as well. For me, they're th the three best episodes of the season. After that, um, we have, in my book, 14 episodes that are either good to very good. Um, you know, it starts off the first episode in his image, which is good. In 30 Phantom Grave, I enjoyed that. The Valley of the Shadow was very good. Um, he's Alive, yeah, that's good. Mute, Jess Bell, Miniature, they're all, for me, in my book, good episodes. Same as Printer's Devil, No Time Like the Past. My Parallel is a really good one. It's a really great episode as well. I Dream of Genie is probably, it's good, but it's, it, to me it's the second weakest episode of the season. Uh, of late, I think of Clifferville, The Incredible World of Horace Ford, and Passage on the Lady Anne. I, all, I think all of them are good as well. The only really stinker in the whole season for me is the Bard. Possibly I Dream of Genie, but I Dream of Genie has a certain charm for me. But the Bard, you know, there's just nothing. I just can't even make it through the Bard, you know. So, uh, you know, it's it's something that's um, just not for me, the Bard. So, overall, um, season four was really really top notch and you know it's it's well worth seeing i know it's it, i really don't like going into 
exactly what I don't like about some of the episodes because they are what they are and we're lucky to have them, you know. Um, so I'm just appreciative of all the great work from all the people behind it, obviously Rod and all the great writers that were part of not only season four, but of the Twilight Zone as a whole in its initial run. So, Tom, that's that's my feedback. Um, keep up the great work um, that you do. And I know it's taking you uh, quite a long time to get to the end of season four. But um, I'm looking forward to the episodes of season five. There's some great ones that uh, coming up in season five, uh, like Living Doll, um, Nightmare 20,000 Feet, Old Man in the Cave, The Masks, uh, Number 12, Looks Just Like You. So there's like, these are the ones that just come to mind. So there's some great episodes that are coming, coming yet. So anyway, I'll leave it at that and uh, keep up the great work and we'll talk to you soon. Hello, this is Jason Schwartz from Northfield, Minnesota, uh, leaving my comments on the coverage of Twilight Zone Season 4. I'd just really like to say that I have was really looking forward to the Season 4 coverage, and it did not disappoint listening to all of your feedback and what Tom had to say um, and the in-depth in-depth coverage um, that has really made me appreciate some of these episodes that I didn't like as much and now like a whole lot more. Uh, What I want to leave in my discussion is my, my top five. I will have sent off my entire list. um, So Harold can make his list. (laughs) Um, but my top five episodes on Thursday we leave for home, Death Ship, Printer's Devil, In His Image, The New Exhibit, and uh, the rest are either middle tier, and then there's a few bottom ones that would probably be on the bottom of my entire list that I just didn't like very much. Um, the our format was challenging. Um, Twilight Zones really are best kept in a 30-minute range. Even though these these top five for me that are in my top tier of all episodes, I think really did the hour format well. Um, and I kind of put together a few things that I think make a good hour-long Twilight Zone episode. Uh, The first is suspenseful pacing. Uh, Something that keeps you guessing. Uh, Something that has maybe three or more Twilight Zone events that combine to make this entire hour episode. And I think my top five um, do that well. Uh, I really like In His Image. 
I know it's some not some people's favorites, but I think it does this good job of leading you through the story where you get these little Twilight Zone reveals and it keeps you going and you don't think about how long the episode is. At least at least I don't. Uh, in the beginning, you're like, what's going on? He's getting these weird sounds. He's pushing a lady into a subway. <laughs> it's very confusing. And he gets these little reveals. You know, he's in his own town and the buildings aren't right. It's getting weirder and weirder. Uh, all of a sudden, he sees that he's a robot. Like, a reveal, a reveal, a reveal. Uh, a suspenseful pacing that keeps, uh, keeps you invested, almost wanting more. And uh, my top five, I really believe uh, you didn't notice that they were long episodes um, because you were so invested, uh, which kind of leads to my next point, which is an incredible and exciting uh, journey, like a book you just can't put down. Uh, the journey's so good, you need to see the end, um, especially like Death Ship where so much is going on. Um, the characters are experiencing these different uh, visions, uh, but really that's the reality and the reality they're living in is not real because they're, they're dead, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> um, you're, you're enthralled. You wanna see this go, where is it going? Um, incredible and exciting journey. Uh, Another one, I think, is characters worth investing in, investing your time in. Um, a lot can be overlooked uh, in a character uh, when it's only half an hour. Like uh, that, uh, you know, you can overlook a lot and go, oh, I get it. I get where they're going. You know, they got 25 minutes to tell the story. When it's longer, if you don't put in the work the writing work and the acting work um, to make that believable and make that a character that I can either connect with, either I connect with them because I want to see good happen to them or I connect with them because they're um, so, you know, vile or, or whatever, like, um, you know, you're drawn to the, the, the devil in the print express because he's so dastardly, you know, um, but characters that you're willing to put that long of time into watching, um, you know, I like when I watch uh, um, in his image, I like Walter Talbot, you know, I, I'm rooting for Douglas uh, Winter in uh, the, the Printer's Devil and, uh, you know, I, I, I sympathize with Captain Benteen on Thursday really for home um, loss and feeling important and all of a sudden not feeling important and uh, and I'm contemplating reality with the uh, with the crew of the of the star cruiser space cruiser e89 in uh, in death ship um, and then one that might not be as foundational as those uh, is the suspension of a disbelief that doesn't break the bank. And that's sometimes what 
I don't like about some of the, my least favorite episodes. Um, like um, of late, I think of Cliffordville is on my bottom. Um, and I just, I can't get over that. The devil wants money. That just doesn't make sense to me. So I can't really continue on uh, in the thought process. Also in uh, the show, uh, in the episode of Valley of Shadow, um, the idea that these super technological races like, oh, wait, we can erase your memory. The hook kind of loses it for me. It, it It's so far like, <sighs> that was really like convenient for an hour. Like if it was a half hour, hmm, for a whole hour, um, it feels like you were tricking me. You were tricking me the whole time and not in a good way, tricking me uh, in a bad way. The most surprising and wonderful thing that happened to me uh, during the season four was on Thursday, we leave for home, which was my number one. And it's because I'd never seen it before. I'd only seen like the last 10 seconds of it. I'd always fall asleep during the marathons and I had never actually watched it before and watching it for the first time when we were going through it was amazing. Um, I don't know if it's just because it's nostalgia because it's the, and I think I've said this, uh, because it was new, but I just think it's a, a home run Twilight Zone episode. Um, it has the pacing. It has the journey. It has characters that I am willing to uh, spend my time in. And it is, you know, perfect science fiction, which um, when you have that suspension of disbelief and that doesn't break the bank. Um, thanks, Tom. For, you, for all you do and, and for all the people who listen and looking forward to season five. Hey Tom, it's Amy from Aftermath. Um, thanks for covering season four so well and being that personified Twilight Zone encyclopedia we've come to love. Um, season four is a bit of a funny one, isn't it? I'm not sure how many fans think back to season four as their favourite collection of episodes, but I think it's been given a bit of a hard time, actually. I know the move to the hour-long format wasn't an easy transition for some viewers, and there can be some sort of negativity loaded into watching it for the first time, but I do like to keep an open mind and find things to enjoy, even in those episodes that might not be my favourite, and I definitely managed to do that with season four, so I was kind of happy about that. I wanted to mention some of my favourite episodes from season four, which was a real season of highs and lows for me, some real highlights, but also sadly some forgettable episodes that I probably wouldn't watch again. Um, the first one I wanted to mention was The 30 Fathom Grave. I think I actually mentioned this at the time in some uh, listener feedback. I really enjoyed the hour-long format here. You know, it allowed for more time to build up that foreboding feeling that I thought was a really important part of the episode. In fact, one of my few criticisms of that was that they didn't let that linger on. You know, they didn't spend more time building it up, but I think they could have taken more time to sort of draw out the mystery and the suspense angle on it, but I suspect I'm the minority on that one, so I'll have to forgive them. Um, it was interesting because I wasn't sure that in his image so the, the first episode really benefited from the hour-long format and I was a little worried that this didn't bode well for the fourth season as a whole but 30 Fathom Grave sort of turned me around on that one. From what I understand it wasn't a very popular episode and it was probably the subtle horror elements that I actually liked most about it. 
it actually lost a little bit of the edge for me once the sort of the twist was was given in the episode so maybe the build-up was the better part of that episode for me um on thursday we leave for home is one of the most emotional episodes in the whole run you know the whole five seasons for me watching Benteen's descent from leader of the community to just another colonist returning to earth and how he handled it was really really heartbreaking to watch at times he's gone from being the backbone of the whole society to someone who basically has to take orders from a stranger and he doesn't handle it very well James Whitmore plays this absolutely flawlessly though you know totally sympathize with him he could really easily have come across as a man with God ambitions, but actually I think he plays it very likably. He's a man who cares about his community so deeply, and while he's definitely not flawless, it doesn't seem as though he's driven by complete control, or I didn't see it that way anyway. His entire life changes in the blink of an eye, and it's going to take him longer than they've given him to get used to it all. Sadly, it takes just a microsecond longer than he has, which is just excruciating to watch. But it's memorable and that plus the fantastic dialogue are why it's probably going to stay with me for a long time and it's definitely top tier episode, probably top 10 out of the whole series run I'd say. Um, the third episode I wanted to mention was The Miniature. Charlie Parks is a great character who really draws you into his unusual little world. Um, like Benteen, he could easily have come across as a really unlikable character whose eccentricities are just annoying. But instead, they're actually just very endearing. I think that's largely due to Robert Duvall's portrayal of him. Um, for me, the storyline in this episode was almost secondary to why I liked so much. It was fine. It was, you know, proper Twilight Zone, as we say on Aftermath. But actually, the episode as a character piece, I thought, worked really well on its own. You know, you learn to sympathise with him, to understand what he's going through, why he doesn't live sort of a standard cookie-cutter life. And I just really enjoyed that. So overall, season four had some real wee gems, I thought. You know, it actually felt just as I was getting used to the hour-long format and what they could potentially do with it. They had to go back to the regularly scheduled programme of the 30 minutes. I totally understand the decision to do it, but with only 18 episodes to get into the swing of it, I'm pretty confident it would have only got better if they had kept that hour-long format. Instead, we'll just look back on it as a bit of a lovable oddity. <laughs> well, lovable for some of us anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Hello, Tom. Roger Moore coming at you from Brownwood, Texas. Wanted to start off by saying, looks like I'm about a decade late and way more than a dollar short when it comes to the Twilight Zone podcast. I recently discovered your podcast back in April. It was around the time of Cliffordville, I believe. I wish I would have discovered it a little bit sooner, because unfortunately most of my favorite episodes have already been covered, talked about, and reviewed by most of everyone that listens. However, better late than never, I guess. So with that said, I guess I'll leave my feedback about Season 4. While season four may not be my favorite season, it still has a few good episodes that I really did enjoy watching during the Twilight Zone holiday marathons. Episodes like Death Ship, of late I think of Cliffordville, and Jespo. I'm not really that big on making a top ten or a top five list of favorite episodes, so I broke them down into a few categories that I'd like to share with you and everyone else. I have some personal favorites of season four, in his image, Valley of the Shadow, 
He's Alive, Death Ship, Jespel, and The Parallel. Episodes that I believe are classic in my opinion, Death Ship, Printer's Devil, of late I think of Cliffordville, On Thursday We Leave for Home, and The New Exhibit. Even though I know Season 3 has already been covered, I just wanted to share my opinion about you covering Changing of the Guard. I hold that episode a little bit higher than the rest. It's a really big personal favorite of mine, and I really do enjoy watching it around Christmas time. Anyway, Tom, enough out of me. I'm going to go ahead and cut it a little bit short, give some time to another listener to leave their feedback. However, I am going to give you a small list of episodes I'm looking forward to you covering in Season 5. Steel, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Living Doll, The Old Man in the Cave, Probe 7, Over and Out, The Seventh is Made Up of Phantoms, Ring a Ding Girl, Queen of the Nile, The Mask, The Jeopardy Room, Garrity in the Graves, and The Fear. Hey there, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Butte, Texas, talking about the Season 4 recap. So the main thing that I hope everyone takes away from this season is that they gain a new appreciation for Season 4. I mean, it it doesn't really get shown on TV uh, during all the the marathons. Uh, Netflix, for some reason, has every season except this one. It doesn't even have a cultural iconic episode such as Time and Effect Last, Eye of the Beholder, To Serve Man, or Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. However, there are some absolute gems to be found in Season 4. I mean, personally for me, uh, I think that uh, the new exhibit is still my favorite of Season 4. Just something about the way that episode is laid out just uh, fascinated me as a child. I've loved it ever since. Uh, another very solid episode is on Thursday. We leave for home. Just the uh, the 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 both ends of the spectrum, you know, of of you know the main character just uh, being a a good leader for so long, and then just don't know what happened. The wheels just came off, and before you know it, he's all by himself. <clears throat> but I'm also fond of uh, even episodes such as uh, Printer's Devil, and uh, you know Burgess Meredith's. Uh, cigar um, or cigarette thing or whatever, pre-Penguin. I always like that. Um, uh, really fond of miniature, uh, Death Ship. And yes, even though it's uh, too long, um, I still enjoy 30 Fathom Grave. Um, the hammer sound uh, is just never going to leave me. That that sound has stuck with me uh, just ever since I first heard it as a kid again maybe not the the absolute greatest episode but uh, there's something about that that sticks with me but uh, yeah so again I'm glad Tom that you're able to finally uh, see some of these episodes I guess for the very first time and um, again not all the episodes are for everybody um, but even with listening to the podcast um, I've even gained a better appreciation of the bard um, you know, just some of your research and, and really looking at it as a commentary of what, what Serling had to go through. Um, it, it's certainly not 
the most bottom of the barrel of Twilight Zone episodes uh, for me. It wasn't that way anyway for me, but but it certainly actually moved up a little bit. Um, so uh, so yeah, again, just thanks for doing all this uh, work, and uh, again, I'm glad we made it this far through all those crazy, crazy last year and a half, two years, and um, can't wait to uh, get back on track and 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 start getting into uh, season five with uh, really probably probably my favorite episode of all of the Twilight Zone. We'll get to that soon. Probably not one that a lot of people would say is in probably even the upper echelon, but still my favorite. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, just curious to hear what everybody else's thoughts are on it. And again, I just thank you for all your uh, good work, Tom. I will talk at you later. Bye. What's going on, Tom? This is Uncommon NASA. Man, I'm so excited to, to leave you some feedback. It's been a while. It's been too long. Uh, I feel like I've been waiting for each episode, but it, then it got close to the end of the season. So I was like, let me just do the season wrap up. And that's why I've been like nudging you like, when do I send it in? Because I've been kind of amped to, to do this. So, um, yeah, in any case, I want to do two parts, uh, you know, if, if I may. Um, the Bard and then season wrap up because I never would have thought um, a few years ago that I would even want to discuss the Bard on any level at all. Um, I remember back in the days when I was still on social media more widely, I remember, um, I think it was the Night Gallery or at the Night Gallery, uh, Paul, um, who I think he defended the bard and, and and I ended up saying it was the worst episode ever. And it's kind of crazy because now I watch it and I, I wouldn't say that I have a full 180 on it or that I've completely turned. I just think it went from maybe being bottom five episodes for me for being in the mid tier, you know, maybe lower mid tier, but mid tier, like it's a watchable episode for me. And I'll tell you exactly why is because, I, I noticed something this last time I watched it through because uh, I've watched the whole season four to kind of keep along with the podcast and that I never noticed before. And it's probably because I wasn't fully aware of this before. Having read a lot about Rod Serling, the man, the person, some of the things that he went through, you could see so much of his humor in this episode and... I actually think it's the funniest episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, there were moments where, with the proper context, which I'll explain in a second, like I actually laughed out loud. I wouldn't say I was doubled over in laughter, but I, I laughed audibly. I would have never thought that in the past. So to get to the point, like, you know, reading about Serling, it seems like a lot of people, including Ray Bradbury famously, um, wanted to sort of attack Serling for... Um, a plagiarism or B at the very least like you know kind of plucking things out of scripts from it's my understanding that people you know amateur to semi-pro to professional writers would regularly send scripts into the Twilight Zone production team including Serling Cayuga Productions and just be like here's my pitch and to send it in people would hit him up at dinner parties and social functions and be like hey let me give you this this seed for this idea and that was constantly happening to Serling, and it and it when you read about Serling and see some of his quotes and read in between the lines, you can kind of tell that that wore him out. Um, that may have been one of the contributing factors to why he stepped away from the Twilight Zone in the first place, when he, by all accounts, could have fought 
at least for season six. I think part of that was just the stress of people constantly trying to get him to adopt their ideas. And when he would either respectfully decline or not reply at all, or maybe he got an idea randomly two years later that happened to be similar to some script that's sitting in a drawer somewhere, um, people would accuse him of things and, and make a mess of things. And, you know, to speak in 2020s terms, this is certainly getting straight at his haters. Like, this is, like, him belittling all of these people that would be amateur to semi-professional writers that thought that they were as good as a seasoned veteran like Rod Serling or anyone else that he worked with regularly, um, you know, Charles Beaumont um, and, and Matheson and the rest of the people that worked on the show regularly. And I think he was kind of belittling them and taking shots at them. And I think there's two angles to the Shakespeare thing, to the Bard thing. The first angle is the obvious one where, yes, it's the pun, you know, these guys, these guys would send notes back to Shakespeare. And that's sort of the shot at the executives. And there's like other things there taking shots at them, which is great. But what's what's kind of cool about this episode is you also have of someone who thinks that they're this great writer that, you know, really doesn't recognize that their own talent needs to grow, you know, reaching out to the to, to the black arts to get the words directly from Shakespeare because they think that they're on that level. And it's kind of like this secondary belittling of like sort of like the hack writers that have accused him of different things. And, and there's a lot to read in between the lines here. And that made me laugh. I think that these are the most surling sounding jokes of any of his humorous episodes. And for that, I think seeing it through that context, for me, made this an episode that at the very least would be worth seeing and i think that's a lot more than what i thought of it before the bard again is more about him defending himself against the haters that he had at the time people had either questioned his talent um overestimated their own talent when dealing with him or executives that thought that they knew better than him because of some sponsor or some other thing that they saw on another network or whatever it might be so i don't know seeing through that lens Maybe that gets people to change their mind. I actually chuckled even at the clips totally out of context in audio form on your podcast and it reminded me of of like laughing at this episode after seeing it plenty of times before and not laughing at anything. So that's my two cents on the Bard. In terms of the season, you know, I, I want to go through a little bit of ranking and then just kind of like a recap of just what I thought about this season as a whole. I've always really been a big fan of season four. I think it's incredibly underrated. Uh, and I'll get into some of maybe what I understand now about it, having watched it again. Um, a few of my least favorite episodes, I'll get those out of the way, you know, just for the sake of it, uh, of conversation. But uh, I've heard a lot of people really like Jess Bell. I just don't see it. I watch it a bunch of times. I'm not one of those like anti-Hamner in the Twilight Zone people. I think he's brilliant. Uh, I just didn't like this episode. I find it really boring and, and the entire thing with the with a cheetah or a jaguar or whatever the hell that thing it just no uh that's that's not not for me um i dream a genie is really bad um i had actually not seen this episode that many times before i rewatched it and comedy was wow it's really bad and actually in poor taste 
And I double-checked who wrote it before I started recording, and I'm really glad to say it's somebody who I think only wrote that episode and was never seen The Twilight Zone again, because it just didn't fit. The humor was really crass, and um, I, I obviously didn't age well, but I don't even know if it played appropriately in the times. In His Image, I know, is also another favorite. Um, I just do not like that lead actor. I don't know what it is about him. I talked about that in an episode of Feedback before. But, you know, that is what it is. Miniature is another episode that I've heard a lot of people praise. Um, It shows the subjectivity of sort of like watching The Twilight Zone. Not a huge fan of this episode. I think the new exhibit does the same exact thing 20,000 times better in in every way. Uh, And Printer's Devil was an episode that I thought that I liked or thought it was middle of the road. And I watched it again and I was like, damn, like I just don't feel anything about this i was kind of disappointed watching printer's devil um back again so on to the good stuff um i'm just gonna read off my top five and then two honorable mentions you know i'll start from the honorable mentions i think mute is sort of like my dark horse episode for the season i really think it's slept on people do not like this episode generally speaking um i think it's got amazing performances and is an incredible concept just the idea of it like, you know, without watching it to me is, is fascinating. Another honorable mention passage on the Lady Anne. I think that this is just a really sweet story. Um, I was able to watch this with my wife and I could tell that she was really into it. Um, at least in the moment. And, um, she likes Twilight Zone, but isn't, you know, head over heels for it the way I am. So like grabbing a random hour long episode that, most average fans or average television viewers have not seen and keeping her attention you know 50 years after its release is is something to be said so top five uh number five of late i think of cliffordville uh number four incredible world of horace ford number three no time like the past number two the new exhibit number one he's alive that would be my top five of the season uh at one point i ranked the entire season and posted it to flick chat rest in peace flick chat but uh i lost that that file so i had to redo them but i'll leave it there in terms of top five i don't want to rank the hell out of everyone listening to me but i would say that like you know in terms of season recap i think there's a reason why this is such a subjective season why some of my favorite episodes like horace ford and mute aren't not generally or even the bard which i would put even like probably top 10 in the season now that I enjoy it, um, are not liked by a lot of people. Whereas there are other episodes that people really like, like uh, on Thursday we leave for home, which I think is is fine. You know, I'm not going to get into that because there's not enough time. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of other episodes that I I think are enjoyed in this season that I, I'm not that big of a fan of, like Jess Bell. And I think a lot of the reason for the subjectivity being so huge is a obviously the time length, the way that it's written is different, but I think this is the season of extremes. I think that's the key takeaway after watching a whole season. It's extreme performances everywhere. And I think that that comes from somewhere that I'll say, but I'll give you a few examples of extremes. Like, you know, the acting of Pat Hingle in The Incredible World of Horace Ford. The acting of the mother uh, in The Mute where, where or Mute. Um, where she just th- that scene to me is so cutting and so real when her her daughter 
you know, the flashback where the daughter is brought back to her by the cops who tried to save her from drowning but wasn't drowned. I mean, that if that doesn't hit you, either you've watched too much television or I don't know, you know, like I, I just I thought it was incredible. Um, I understand how that could be seen as overacting, but I just how do you overact something that horrific, uh, especially in the confines of uh, late 50s, or in this case, early 60s, black and white television. Salmi's performance in in Cliffordville uh, sometimes is said to be overacted. Um, everything about No Time Like the Past, you know, the, the heavy-handed writing, the wording, the dialogue, which I eat up, but I know, you know, some people think is heavy-handed. The bard and the performances, having someone literally dressed as Shakespeare walking around talking with a Shakespearean accent um, and he's alive where like literally Hitler shows up uh, spoiler alert but they really went for it in season four like there was no hiding and I think that that comes from the spirit of teleplays and early television and you you had kind of referenced this a little bit um, about how recent television was when this was being produced so you you know you're talking about the early 1960s like very early like this is probably like 61 and television as a as a mainstream thing was barely 20 years old if even and probably was only really you know within popular culture since around 1955 when patterns came out and you, you know that's like six years before so everyone involved uh, for the most part, particularly on the production side of the Twilight Zone, was likely heavily influenced or involved directly in the early teleplane scene and early television scene. And so as television started to evolve, half-hour shows like the Twilight Zone came about. But I think that everyone working on the Twilight Zone for those first three seasons, Rod Sterling first and foremost still yearned for that hour-long drama format that kind of put teleplays and put television on the map in the first place. And when they had the opportunity to spread to an hour, I think they really, these were callbacks. That's why there was such extremes in the acting and the writing, in my opinion, because I would imagine, not having been there, that they yearned to get back into that style of television and didn't want that style of television to die. And I think that's what season four is all about. It's it's all about taking back length and time and the audience's time in front of that TV to tell them something that is not cut into 22 to 25 minutes with commercials inside of it. It's actually, you know, long form playwriting. And that doesn't always translate to the modern audience because we don't do that anymore on television anywhere even if you include the the highfalutin cable dramas or anything that's happening in the uk or other countries or united states network and beyond we just don't do that anymore so a lot of us have had to learn how to interpret um some of that that drama that was put on television in those days i would suggest you know this is a random thought that just popped in my head i would suggest watching an episode or two of Perry Mason. Um, I'm not a huge Perry Mason fan, but the original Perry Mason, there's a pacing and a writing and a dialogue pacing that is very similar to The Twilight Zone. And it's a totally different show written by a totally different crew. I don't even know if it was on the same network or not. It might have been. But 
that sort of thing like really is a good example of like how television was done then and i think it helps with season four in understanding that the pacing that was intended for season four is not supposed to be the pacing in one two three and then later five and you have to take that hat off to watch this and if you can't then that's fine but that doesn't make it bad um it, there are still good and bad episodes, and each person has a different collection of them. And I think they're, like I said, they overlap a lot less because of the nature of season four. It had a mission and it, and it accomplished it. I think that it was so complete in the accomplishment of what they wanted to do with bringing back the hour-long drama that they were all willing to take an exhale and say, we did that. Let's, uh, if we're going to do another season, let's just go back to what we we're doing, and, and, and that's fine, too. And uh, I appreciate and, 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 you know, in a lot of ways applaud what was done in season four. Yeah, that's all I got to say. Um, season of Extremes, The Bard, Isn't That Bad, Laugh with Rod, see you in season five. Thanks, Tom.